wow, you know, not only is has this company enabled me to see and travel the world, like they've been, they've enabled me to really hammer that debt down and start my life uh, debt free. So that, that is, is yeah. yeah. All right. So we're sold. Some awesome perks <laughs> right there. <laughs> the Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, Episode 258. The world's largest cruise ship, the Harmony of the Seas, uses enough electrical wiring to stretch across the United States from coast to coast. It's electric. A lot of times when I talk to people about cruises, I hear stuff like, oh, I'm only going on a cruise. Or, well, Travis, you would never want to go on a cruise because you do all types of adventure travel and independent travel. But the fact of the matter is, I would love to go on a cruise. I've never been on a cruise before, a multiple day cruise. And I would think it would actually be a really cool experience. Yes, it would be a lot different from the typical travel that I do, but that's the point of travel is getting out and doing different things. So I personally would love to actually try out a cruise, but there are some things that I would still do the exact same way if I was on a cruise or if I was doing my regular independent, you know, on the ground type traveling. One of those is that I would definitely make sure to have the right luggage with me. And for me, that is my Tortuga backpack. So I would bring a Tortuga backpack with me. I would still only bring a carry-on size. I don't care how big my cabin would be. I'd still only bring a carry-on size even if I was going on a cruise. So if you're someone who's traveling the world, whether that be on a cruise or any other way, and you want the perfect carry-on size backpack, check out Tortuga Backpack's new Outbreaker backpack. You can find that at tortugabackpacks.com. Don't forget, as an EPOP listener, to use the promo code EPOP, E-P-O-P, all capital letters, because that will get you 10% off your entire order. Hello, travel nerds, and welcome to the Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, the show that teaches you how to travel more while spending less. I'm your host, Travis Sherry, and joining me today is someone who has paid off $35,000 in student loans in one year, who earned four degrees in six years while working aboard cruise ships, and who knows a lot about a subject that I know nothing about, which is why it's so great to have her on, Amanda Hawthorne-Geary of GetALifeAtSea.com. Amanda, thanks for joining me today, and welcome. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Trav. I am super excited to yeah dive in. Excuse the pun. Yeah, it's yeah, pun, have as many puns as you want throughout this show, and we're going to cover a lot of stuff. What it's like to live and work on a cruise ship, how to get a job on one, of course, like the insider secrets, what's the what the best jobs are, the realities of day to day living on a cruise ship, why it's a great thing for people to consider, all that good stuff that I have no idea about, but you have a lot of ideas about, but. Before we dive in, first things first, we've interviewed people from all types of locations, like the middle of the desert in Africa and stuff like that. We've never had anyone who's been on the water or in the air at the time of recording. I can see your background. So unless it's a really cool ship, I don't think you're at sea right now, right? No, I am not. I'm actually literally right beside the water. I'm in Vancouver right now. Um, I'm probably about 15 feet from the waterfront, but yeah. 
Getting close. We're getting close. Yeah, I'm close. I'm close. We're getting closer. All right. So one of these days, we'll do it with someone who's actually on the water. We'll somehow get someone who's in the air. I don't know how that one's going to happen. Um, probably some regulations against that. But at this point, you, you've spent a good portion of your life working on cruise ships, right? 15 years or so? Yeah. So I've, I've got about 10 years working on board. And then in addition to my decade on board, another five years in cruise ship recruitment. So hiring for some of the major lines in the world um, after I got off ships. So a lot of years in the cruise ship industry. Let's let's take it back to the beginning. Were you always someone who loved to travel? How did this all begin? Both your you know your travel journeys and the cruise ships. Like when did that come to be part of it? Ah, uh, that actually like it it happened really really early on. And by early on, I mean from when I was born. So I was <laughs> that's actually, pretty early. <laughs> yeah. So my dad was a was a ship's captain for many many years um, for cargo ships, and so. From when I was about six months old, I actually lived on a cargo ship for the first two, three years of my life with my dad and my mom. We were doing Miami to South America runs. Um, and actually, I was even, she actually found out she was pregnant with me um, the year before when she was on the cargo ship initially uh, on her way to Australia. So I actually, my sea time, my 10 years, I actually don't count that first few years. Uh, <laughs> as sea time but I guess technically I have over 13 years of onboard ship experience but that's kind of how I got started with the whole life at sea and then when my parents got off ships uh, when I was about three or four they actually uh, started a marine recruitment agency in Canada really hiring more deck and technical officers and my mom still is in marine recruitment um, and she actually started doing cruise ship recruitment about 20 years ago or so in, in conjunction with her deck and tech stuff. So it really was sort of a family affair. And actually, my brother and my sister have both worked on cruise ships as well. So yeah, it, it's the salt in the blood the whole way through. You were literally born <laughs> to be on ships and born. Yeah, that's that's pretty, pretty amazing. And so even at an early age or, you know, growing up, was the idea of travel something that you wanted to then get back to? Like, okay, you know, you're a couple years old, you probably don't remember being on the ships when you're that young. But was it something you said, okay, I'm going to make a life out of this? I'm not exactly sure how, but eventually this will this will be the way I go. Yeah, I definitely did. And just seeing the type of life both my parents sort of led and sort of having that non-traditional sense of what is possible and um, that you can travel the world and not have to spend a ton of money doing it. In fact, you can actually get paid like I was for a decade to, to I've been to every single continent in the world except Antarctica. It's on the list. But I was paid to do that. And yeah, it was just an epic adventure. And I love now, you know, doing what I do now with my own company, um, getalifeatsea.com. Now I love helping others to do what I did. So, yeah. And as someone who has never been on a cruise, I, other than like I did, I think I went to the Bahamas, so I was on a cruise ship, but it wasn't a, it wasn't a cruise, it was just to get there. Never been on a cruise, let alone worked on one. The only person I know who's ever worked on a cruise ship was my one friend from high school, and he ended up getting fired from like three different cruise ships. He's not the most reliable human in the world. Uh, sorry, AC, if you're listening, but um, it's true. Uh, this will be fun because I am. I'm as naive as possible when it comes to what this life is like and and how to do it, and that's why it's so neat that, that we have you on because, I mean, I didn't know you had all that experience, and your family was like the first family here of cruising, right? But talk to us a little bit about the different types of positions that people can have because that's 
that's basically where it starts is like, all right, I want to get a job on cruise ship or I might not even know this exists. What can people do on cruise ships? Yeah, I mean, that's a really good question. In essence, probably the simplest way is to imagine any position that exists in a high-end resort or a high-end hotel, those positions all exist on board, in addition to a few really crazy ones that no one would even think exist on board, like rock climbing instructors and skydiving instructors and just random positions that you'd never think would actually be on a cruise ship that they are. But, you know, if you're new to it, then I would sort of think, what think to yourself what does a hotel have what does a major resort have and then if you're kind of in that realm of experience then there'll be something for you on board for sure how does one be a skydive instructor while working on a cruise ship explain that to me (laughs) right so um royal caribbean actually you know they're very very adventure based as many people know their activities on board i mean they have um, they have a skydiving machine on board, which actually is sort of like a tube and it, it, and it sort of floats you up and you experience what it's like to skydive. And they have a skydiving instructor that teaches you how to maneuver in that tube. There's also surfing instructors because they have their wave machine. They have um, rock climbing instructors on board because they have their rock walls on board. So these are all actual onboard activities that they need skilled individuals to, to train um, passengers to do these things. So it's, I mean, there's all these, you know, regular hotel resort type, type of jobs, like, you know, guest activities, hosts and photographers and retail shop staff and youth activity staff and all that kind of thing. Hotel front desk, obviously. But yeah, if you are in sort of a niche little area, for example, I just had a client recently who's a pro uh, wakeboarder um, instructor. He is um, going to be moving forward to work on board as a one of the wave riding instructors. So yeah. So that's kind of how those neat things can happen too. Yeah. And we're going to touch on how to get a job and all the like the log- uh, logistics and stuff like that. But first, we got to convince people that working on a cruise ship is worth it, right? I mean, before we even like, hey, you're going to go and get your job and do all that. We got to, and, and some people need no convincing. Some people listening to this are already like, hey, this, I, you know, I've heard about this or I've done it or I know people have done it. I want to do it. But what are kind of the main benefits of working on a cruise ship? And at the top, I kind of teased out some of the stuff that you were able to do. What are some of the benefits that you have when working on a cruise ship that a typical job might not have? Let's even say if you were at a hotel and you were doing the similar type position. Mm -hmm. I would have to say number one is the travel because you are on a moving hotel or moving resort. You're getting to see a different place every single day. So the travel possibilities are definitely probably one of the number one reasons that most people want to work on a cruise ship. And then the second would be the money. And funnily enough, most entry level positions, you're not really going to come in at a very high monthly base salary. However, when you consider the fact that everything is provided to you on board free of charge, you don't have any of the regular expenses like rent and buying groceries and paying for gas and all that stuff. Um, Even if you have a low base entry, you're still saving a ton of money during your typical, you know, six month contract. And so that's a huge draw for a lot of people as well. And then Thirdly would probably be the amazing people that you get to meet. It's not often in a shoreside environment that you get to work with, you know, upwards of 55 different nationalities, live and work with them. And the cultural experiences, the people you meet from around the world, the friends you make from around the world, and then, of course, the passengers, too. So it's this really amazing environment that you get to travel the world, make and save a ton of money um, and meet great people 
all in one spot. You can't really beat that right there. And I would assume, too, that there's there's a special bond that then is built because, like you said, for better or worse, you're traveling, living, working with these people. Sometimes, I'm sure, we'll, we'll get into like the stuff that is the downside, but sometimes it can be a lot. But you spend that time with someone, it's a lot different than, like you mentioned, going into a job, you see him, okay, nine to five, you see him here and there, and then you go home. I mean, you're you're seeing him at work, then you're onshore with him, or you're hanging out with him, and you're all that. I, I assume that those bonds that you formed with those type of people is a little different than your typical friendship bonds with people that maybe you met at home. Oh, yeah. Like, it's, it's so tight, and it's really from the moment you walk on the ship, it's this automatic that you walk into and it's very very quick that the, the where the bonds happen um and even more so it's really neat as well when you're you know say someone who's on board for a few years you're going ship to ship you might not have seen a friend for a few years uh from a prior contract and then all of a sudden you walk on board and there they are again so you get to kind of come into contact with them consistently and then when you're on leave um, for your eight to 10 weeks in between your contracts you literally can go anywhere in the world and you know, message someone and be there in that country with them. Like you will have friends that you can go and hang out with and spend time with around the world. So yeah, it's amazing. And, and that was one of the things when Heather and I moved to Japan to teach English for two years was one of the benefits was I, the, we were going to be in Japan. So we're going to see a new culture. The second benefit and just as important was we're going to meet people who are then going to scatter all over the world because obviously they came to Japan to be here. They like adventure. They're, they're from all over. Then they're going to travel as well. And that's what's amazing. We want to go on a vacation. Or we want to take a trip or someone wants to come here. All of a sudden, you haven't seen them for like three, four years. Doesn't matter because you form those tight bonds and uh, very similar thing there. W- you're mentioning like contracts and, and we'll get in a little bit into how it works. So how typically you are on a ship for a set amount of time, right? And then you have and then you have time off. You're not when you say, oh, you've been on a ship for three years. It's not like, hey, you've been on a ship for three years. <laughs> Yeah. So typically contracts, uh, most contracts are about six months in duration. There are some seasonal options for some people uh, for certain positions like youth staff, youth security, lifeguarding, which you can go on board for, you know, two to 12 weeks and try it out, see if you like it. But typically contracts are about six months in duration with about eight to 10 weeks in between. So initially when I started my time at sea at the beginning of the 10 years, I was still in university. So I was still going to school. So what I did was I was a seasonal youth staff. I made sure I was on board every single break there was every single summer for three to four months, every single Christmas for a month or two, every single spring break for a month or two. I was on board for about four to six months of the first four years of my university so that I was able to still go to school, work on board, travel the world, get paid, save up for paying for university. And then once I finished university, I went straight into a full-time crew training position where I, my, my salary tripled. And that's where I was able to pay off my first full-time year working on board. I was able to pay off over $35,000 in student loans and just get it done. That sounds yeah. like a little better of a plan than I put in action when I was in university, which was most like, go back to my home area, sit around, hang out with people, it's, you know, accrue more debt, and then you know go back to school and do the same thing over and over. Yeah, I think I like your plan a little more. So if you are younger out there listening, I mean, obviously, we'll, we'll talk about, you know, it can really be any age range, but if you're younger, I mean, that sounds like a really incredible thing to do while someone is in university because you're having these amazing experiences. You're making probably more money than anyone else 
that you're going to university with or almost anyone else. And then, like you said, if you do decide that wants to, you want that to be somewhat of a career, then when you come in after university, you're, you're up in the higher ranks versus just starting out. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, it was really such that day where I sent that check to student loan office that first year after uni was one of the best days ever. And I was like, wow, you know, not only is, has this company enabled me to see and travel the world, like they've been, they've enabled me to really hammer that debt down and start my life uh, debt free. So that, that is, is yeah. yeah. All right. So we're sold some awesome perks <laughs> right there. Um, let's get into a little bit of what the day to day life is like aboard a cruise ship. And of course, this will be different based on what your job is and all and your position. But what is what is that like? Yeah, it's a good question. So typically, you know, we talked about contract length, like say you're on board for six months, but you know, the passengers aren't on board for six months, you know, typically, you have about a seven to 10 day cruise duration. So passengers will be on about seven to 10 days, they'll all get off at the end, new passengers will all come back on and you'll you just kind of keep going like that. So during a typical seven to 10 day cruise, you have about three or four sea days, three or four port days, you know, port days, or sorry, sea days are very, very busy. That's where the ship is at sea all day, the passengers aren't going anywhere, they're using the amenities, those are going to be your longest days, really in any position on board. So you're looking there, you know, typically about eight to 10 to even 12 hour days, usually split shifts. So three or four, three hour split shifts is very typical for sea days. And then port days is a bit different. So port days, we don't need all of the crew on board the ship. A lot of passengers are off enjoying the sights and so are the crew. So what your manager will do then is sort of assess how many, you know, skeleton crew do we actually need in our department to uh, function. Um, and there are some certain departments, like, for example, retail and casino, those those areas have to be completely shut down when in port. So guys, if you're listening, and you want a job where you get the best port time, those are definitely my two recommendations there, because you literally are not allowed to work um, or have those centers open when in port. But your manager, doesn't matter what department, will sort of give you guys time off in a rotational basis, sharing it with everyone else. So during a typical seven to 10 day cruise, I tell um, new candidates to expect about one to two half days off, potentially, or even a full day uh, during the week. But by full day, I don't mean 24 hour period. I mean, from when the ship comes in in the morning to when the ship sails that evening. And if you have had that day off in port, then you definitely will be working that night, maybe, you know, four to six hours. So some longer days and some shorter days. But what people need to realize is no matter what, there is international maritime law, I was called ILO and IMO standards, which actually dictate that no matter what, whatever company you work with, whether it's a cruise ship or a, or a container ship, the maximum number of hours a company can ask you to work is 14 hours per day. Does that happen? Very, very rarely. Sometimes if someone gets sick, you have someone that goes home all of a sudden. Sometimes that does occur, but it is um, very, very rare. And so after you then pick up, you know, you do a seven to day, 10 day cruise and, you know, then you bring the passengers back to whatever, wherever they're going and, and they disembark. Is it typically then that you pick up new passengers right away that day, the next day? Do you have a few days in between? How, how is that schedule, you know, between different groups of passengers? What does that shake out to? Mm -hmm. So it's very, very quick. It's probably one of the busiest days, um, of every cruise, it's called turnaround day for good reason. So you might have, you know, if you're on a big Royal Caribbean ship, for example, you might have 5,000 guests all departing 
at between 9 a.m. and 12, and then boom, you've got another 5,000 guests joining between 1 and 5. So it's hectic, um, especially for housekeeping, as you can imagine, turning over an entire entire ship um, and front desk as well, and then having everyone come back on. So it's very, very quick turnaround. Now, there are occasions, and I've experienced this uh, during my 10 years at sea, where you won't have any guests on board at all. But that is typically when a ship is doing a very short relocation cruise, or they're doing a refit, they're doing some a relocation fit, and they're doing a little bit of reno during that time where we're, we will have contractors come on and, you know, do some repairs and do some changing out of carpet or whatever, um, which is kind of amazing because we as the crew have the whole ship to ourselves <laughs> yeah that's that gotta happens. be fun it's like it's like being in <laughs> disneyland alone you're like whoa yeah. this never happens this is awesome yeah. kind of wandering in wherever you want like wearing your casual clothes and yeah so that's kind of a cool experience that does happen from time to time with those repositioning cruises um again something i've heard a lot about when it comes more on the end of hey you can get good deals on cruise ship tickets when you do repositioning. And I'm not sure how much you know about that. I'm sure you know a lot because you've been in the business. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about the repositioning and, and whether that is something that's worth it for people who are saying, hey, yeah, I want to take a cruise, but I don't care where I'm going or which way I'm going. It'd just be cool to be on a cruise ship for a little bit and I want a good price. Yeah, if you want, well, there's a couple things you can do if you want a really good price. So one of them, yeah, is, is finding those relocation cruises, two to three days, you know, Vancouver to LA, like just kind of, you know, kind of cruises to nowhere. Maybe you're not really stopping anywhere. It's kind of point A to point B, a couple of days to experience the ship. Those are great deals. Um, another thing that you can do if you do live in a port city, a, a city where ships tend to dock, like Vancouver, Seattle, uh, Florida, you can do what's called last minute cruises where you literally are just ready and packed and able to go. And then like one or two days or even day of a ship sailing, you contact the company and there will often be passengers who haven't made it to the ship for getting on and they've paid for a cruise. And then you can get dirt cheap cruises for like a week, regular week long cruises for a couple hundred bucks. So that's kind of another way to do it, too. Oh, man. I love this idea now because, you know, total flexibility. Um, if you're someone who does have total flexibility, that that's pretty amazing. And so you would just contact the the cruise line directly or their website. I mean, I'm sure there's someone making a buck off this with websites that tell you, you know, which ones. What's the best uh, plan of action for that? Because I might just have to go get myself a little last minute cruise. <laughs> I, I would say, yeah, contact the companies directly and kind of what you could do is they, they do have lists. They do have sort of like call calling lists where they have people that are like have said, you know, available anytime like to come on. So let me know when there's something like this. So they do have that. Travel agents have it as well. Um, or make friends with a crew member. I mean, this is another perk of being a crew member. After most companies have like a little thing where if you've worked for them for a year or two, they have what's called friends and family discounts where there'll be huge percentage discounts. Or um, you can have them, if you've been for a couple of years, have your actual family come on board and, and have them have a wonderful cabin for something like $15 a day. I had my brother... When I was crew trainer, I had my brother join me in New York and cruise for a week, and he had a beautiful suite, balcony, everything, and I was paying for him uh, $15 a day for everything. So there, make a friend with a crew member. So too, are because... we considered friends yet, or <laughs> do, you, do you not have those perks anymore because you're not on the ship? How can we work this out? I have. I still have my friends and family discount. Um, I don't have the, the $15 <laughs> a day anymore because I'm not on anymore, but um. But yeah, those are some extra perks, which yeah, is pretty cool. That is pretty amazing. Now, as the person who's working on the ship, you know, you mentioned that 
when people are in port, you know, a lot of times you on a rotational basis, whatever, you can get port time and you can go do that kind of stuff. What about using the actual amenities on the ship? So you're working on the ship. Are you given rain to do that or is it with some sort of stipulations? Mm, that's a really good question. So I, during my 10 years, I worked with Princess, Royal Caribbean, Cunard, p Australia. It really... Um, has a lot to do with what position you have on board and also um, can have a lot to do with what line you're with. So for example, Cunard is a very, very high-end cruise line, six-star service, um, very affluent guests, and typically pretty much not many crew at all get to use passenger facilities on those ships. Other cruise lines like Royal Caribbean, Princess, p Australia especially have a lot more flexibility when it comes to passenger area privileges for their crew members. But one thing definitely to realize is that when you're talking about hierarchy on the ship, there really are sort of three levels or three tiers of crew member. You, you have your crew, you have your staff, and you have your officers. So staff are kind of this middle ground group, which is more front of house. You know, they're your photographers, your retail, your crew staff, um, your front desk. They're, they kind of have this ability to have access to passenger areas, but they don't quite have officer level privileges. Whereas crew is more of the bulk of our crew that are in sort of housekeeping, bar areas, dining, wait staff. Those Positions tend to not have as much passenger flexibility with, with regards to areas they're able to access just because of the size of their departments. We couldn't have like all of the staff in passenger areas using amenities because it would just be kind of crazy. But um, that's kind of how that works. But there are companies that have fantastic crew amenities as well. I mean, Princess for sure is one of them. Royal Caribbean as well. But Princess of any line out there is one of the only cruise lines I've seen that has a beautiful crew pool at the very front of the ship with the most amazing view with two jacuzzis. I mean, this is on all of their larger ships. And this is just for the crew. Passengers can see this beautiful pool from like deck 14. They're looking down, they're yelling at you saying, Hey, you know, how can we get there? Sorry? No, not for you. So (laughs) it's like, these are some of the, it doesn't even matter. Sometimes you don't even want to use the passenger areas because they, you have this great access to crew areas too with some lines. And that's something I never really thought about was the fact that, yeah, you, you have a ton of crew and staff on board and that they would have their own amenities, pools or fitness centers or, you know, I, I'm sure a bunch of other things too, which is pretty neat um, because then you're getting to, yeah, in some cases, like I said, with that princess line, then you're getting something that might even be better than, than what the passengers have. So that's pretty cool. Now, when you're picking cruises, do you... Or, or do you get to pick the cruise you want to do? And do, typically, do you work with one cruise line solely? So you're like, okay, I'm with Royal Caribbean, and then you just pick up, start picking up different cruises with them. Or, you know, can you say, all right, I'm going to do a tour with Royal Caribbean. All right, now I'm going over to Princess. Now I'm going over to something else. Mm, that's a really good question. So I'll talk about the itinerary part first, and then get into the lines. So, as a new hire, your very first contract you really won't have much choice about where you're put. It's like, they'll just be putting you where you're needed, your first contract. After you've done your first contract or two, then you can start actually requesting specific ships. I always like to tell my clients to request ships versus itineraries because the administrators in the main offices, they only know ships. They won't know where those ships are going. But you, as a crew member, can go online, kind of search the itineraries that you're looking to do, know those ships, and then request you know first, second, third choice. And often administrators will, you know, bend over backwards to make that happen for you after you've done a contract or two. So that's itinerary kind of information. When it comes to companies, 
Although I've worked for four different lines, three of those were sister cruise lines. They're affiliated. So Princess, Pinot, and Cunard are all affiliated cruise lines. So I wasn't necessarily changing lines. It was more just kind of going within the family. And then when I made the switch to Royal Caribbean um, as crew trainer, it was because Princess was actually decreasing the amount of trainers they had on board. And I kind of wanted to jump in with a company that I knew wasn't going to decrease. So I jumped in with Royal and then then, but then all of a sudden, after my first contract with Royal, uh, Pino Oz came to me and actually offered me a promotion to HR manager. So I, I really, I loved Royal and I would have totally stayed with them, but it was a question of um, being able to move up quicker into a position that I was really gunning for. And I knew it would happen quicker with Pino than it would with Royal. So that's why I kind of made the change over there. All right. We're going to ask you a hard question here. Um, but one that I, and, and, you know, you can answer however you want, uh, diplomatically, uh, not diplomatically. Do you have certain cruise lines that you would recommend that people seek out? Like you would say, okay, in my mind, this is the best for an entry level person. Um, but for whatever reason, this other cruise line is better if you have a certain skill or what have you. Oh, that's like, it's not a loaded question, but it's so, it really is kind of based on what people are looking for. So when I'm working with my clients, when we're doing our coaching, uh, cruise employment coaching, I sort of talk to them about what are your main goals for being on board a cruise ship? Are you really going to make, are you going for a goal of making the most amount of money in the shortest amount of time? Because there are cruise lines that have much higher salary uh, ranges than other cruise lines, but maybe you're not going to get as much port time. And then there are cruise lines that are really, really flexible with what we were talking about before with regards to like passenger area amenity use and things like that, and maybe better itinerary. So I would recommend, you know, for example, like PO Australia, total, pretty much total free reign of passenger amenities, but you're going to be on a very limited itinerary. You're kind of going to be just in Australia, New Zealand, South Pacific, which, you know, to be honest, isn't that terrible. It's pretty right. awesome. You're right. in Fiji. Tough life, tough life. <laughs> so I'd have to say, you know, there are definitely lines that I would recommend for goals that certain people have. So if the listeners out there are sort of wondering how to start, I would say start looking at the cruise line's main websites and kind of gauging how many ships does this cruise line have? Where do they go? What kind of level of service do they provide? Is this something that kind of matches with what I'm looking for? And that's kind of a good place to start to figure out where you might be when it comes to picking the best line for you. Okay. I know it doesn't really answer your question, no, but I'm... <laughs> well, it's like anything, right? There's the, it it ver- it varies based on the person. All right, if we are gonna if if we boil it down to two, I guess avatars, just two stereotypes, and we say, all right, th- here's a person who says, all right, this is going to be my first go around, but really for me, this is about making as much money as possible. Uh, you know, I, I'm gonna ha- I want to have a good time, but I don't mind like working, working, working. Yeah, I'll get to travel too, but. F- Really, I want to just work. I want to make as much money as possible. Where, like, what would you point them towards? I would point them towards, interestingly enough, some of the UK-based brands, um, Cunard, P&O UK, companies like that, because then you're going to be getting paid in British pounds versus the American dollar, which is kind of par for the course when it comes to working on board. So you're going to be making quite a bit more money, um, but you're going to maybe have less port time off and less passenger privilege. Yeah. And then what was your second? The second second person's going to be the person (laughs) who's just like, all right, this sounds cool. I want to have fun. You know, like your typical traveler. All right, I want to have fun. Uh, Sure, I want to work, but it's about the experience. Like I want a really fun staff. I want as, you know, as much poor time as possible. I want some pretty cool itineraries. Um, And they're in it for that more the lifestyle component. Mm, I would have to say Princess or Royal Caribbean 
um, or Piano Oz. I mean, if you're looking for like probably some of the best crew uh, partnerships you're going to have and friends that you meet, it's going to be Piano Oz because they're such a small line. They only have like four ships and a really low passenger count. So the crew that you meet, you're, there's only like six or 800 of you. So you get very, very tight. So for lifestyle and just like happiness factor, that was some of my best contracts we were with Piano Oz, but Princess and Royal Caribbean too, um, really great crew amenities, um, wonderful people, great itineraries, large ships. So you have the ability to move from ship to ship and get to see lots of different parts of the world. So yeah, I would say the big start with the big lines, the ones that are really well known, you know, celebrity NCL. Um, you know, look at the big families too. You've got Carnival Corporation who owns Carnival, Princess, Piano Australia, Holland America, Seaborn. Once you start delving into the research, you realize that it's not all really all these different lines. They're kind of all one little families, you know, Royal Caribbean, Celebrity, NCL, they're like another little family. So yeah, there's all of that to kind of consider. So as well. it's like an oligarchy, right? There's like four or five people at the top, and then they all filter, you know, or mm-hmm. a crime family or something like that. And there's all these little branches <laughs> out of it. Um, all right, so someone's like, great, sold on on working on it. I know which ones I'm going to look at. Like, I, I get the day to day. That sounds cool. I I kind of know which ones I might start looking at. Now we have to go about getting someone a job on a cruise ship. Um, how does someone start doing that? And especially, how does someone like we talked uh, entry level? You know, there's that position. But what if let, let's start with that? How does someone who's maybe younger or is just like okay, I'm cool with entry level? How do they get a job? And then the next question would go into all right, I'm a little more established. I might have a skill. I don't want to start in at entry level, but I want to get some of those better positions or, or more skilled work. Mm-hmm. So I would say, I guess let's start with like what I recommend actually regarding best entry level positions to get into, like some of the easiest ones to break into that a lot of people have experience with already. So first thing is that what you need to remember is that every single cruise line out there is going to expect that you have at least a year to two of related and relevant experience to whatever position that you're going to be applying for on board. So for example, if you want a retail sales position on board, they're going to look for one to two years of high-end retail sales experience ashore. So for sure, make sure you have at least some of that kind of experience before you go for a role on board. But some of the best entry-level positions would include things like um, activities hosts, youth staff, a lot of younger people out there, especially, you know, almost everyone has experience working with kids at some point. Somehow, right? right? Yeah. Right. Day camps or whatever. So that's a great one to break into. Um, Retail sales. Again, a lot of people have some experience with retail sales. Um, Photography is a great one. If you even have a little bit of experience with either studio or freelance and then hotel front desk too. So those are kind of like my five kind of core best entry level positions. With regards to how to get started to apply, I definitely say, you know, do what I said initially was, you know, go to the Cruise Line's main web pages, kind of get a feel for what their brand is about, who they serve. One thing that's really, really hard, though, which is actually one of the reasons I started my own company last year, uh, Get a Life at Sea, was when you go to these Cruise Line's web pages, they're beautiful and they're amazing, but they're completely designed with the passenger in mind. Like that's who they're made for, right? So when you're a prospective crew member and you're trying to figure out like how the heck do I even apply to this company, it's, it's so hard. There's usually a very, very tiny fine print careers or employment little tag in the footer. It's, it's like finding a needle in a haystack, literally. It is so difficult, which is why when I started my company, my initial idea was actually... I'm just going to write a guide and it's going to have all of this information in it, like every single major line out there, the clickable employment links, 
um, the step-by-step application instructions. I wanted to have a really easy, like one-stop shop for that information. So yes, you can go out there and research it, but you can also, you know, go to how to <laughs> my guide, which is getalifeitsy.com forward slash guide to adventure. Um, cause it really kind of, it's, you can apply to multiple lines all at once just by having all that information at your fingertips. So that's kind of one way to get started. But as well, something that people need to remember is you can apply to the main lines, of course, but keep in mind when you're applying to the main lines, there are thousands of applications coming in every single day. So when I got off ships, um, I worked in recruitment and cruise ship recruitment for another five years for an official hiring partner in Canada um, that hired for major lines such as Princess, Pino, and etc. So a lot of these big lines will have official hiring partners in um, a lot of major countries out there, Canada, and New Zealand, Australia, etc. So I always recommend to my clients, try and find an official hiring partner first that's affiliated with the line you want to work with. Always make sure they're listed on the actual cruise line's official webpage, which again, I have in my guide. But Try and go through a partner first because you're going to have a much better chance of being noticed by a smaller partner than trying to get noticed in the thousands of applications that are coming into the main lines every single day. I, I cannot even imagine, yeah, how many applications come in just off the like Carnival website, right? Or something crazy like that. Now, do they do stuff um, like like job fairs or career fairs? Will, would that be a way that someone could kind of like meet someone who at least is a face for one of them, whether it's a hiring partner or someone who actually works with the cruise line and, and have an in that way because they know someone. Yeah, that's a really great thing to do too. So like the Canadian hiring partners, for example, um, I used to go across Canada when I worked with the Canadian, there's three official Canadian partners. I used to work with one of them and we, we would go across Canada at least two to three times a year and do big auditions. So that's one way to do it is to try and find either a job fair or an open call um, to actually go meet someone in person. That is, that's a really great way to do it. The job fairs are a little iffy, like the big job fairs. There's often quite a few in the UK and Europe that go down. I would say if you're going to go to one of those, um, sometimes they charge crazy amounts of money to actually even get in to those things. So I would say before you go and spend like $1,000 to go to a job fair where cruise lines are, try and go through the official partner routes and the main website route so that you're doing it in the cheapest way possible for yourself. Yeah. Of course. Uh, Yeah, of course. That's great Mm -hmm. advice because, again, as someone who knows nothing, I would assume that, yeah, oh, of course, Carnival does their own hiring and I'm just going to send it off to them. And then, yeah, you could never hear back. Now, if someone is has a skilled position so they're like okay i I don't need to get in at um like the youth activities or photography or anything like that maybe they're going i i don't know maybe something in management or you can even kind of tell us what the upper level positions are for someone who has experience ashore probably some pretty good experience maybe they're even a little older and they're like all right well this just seems cool i want to do this but i don't want to be getting paid a tiny amount and be working with like a, t- a bunch of 20 year olds doing the same type of job. Yeah. So actually that's funny that you asked that because probably my fastest hired client to date, uh, was, is one of my most experienced. Um, his name was Dean and he is a HR manager with carnival <laughs> funnily enough. And, uh, so he, he actually went for my full resume creation package. I And that was interesting because this was someone who had a ton of HR experience. Um, he was a little bit older and um, was obviously very, very good at writing his resume, but wanted some, wanted me to do it. So it was really catered to the upper level position he was applying for, HR manager on board. 
We redid his resume. He applied the next day. He had two interviews within 48 hours. He was hired within 72 hours by Carnival. That's who he chose to go with. And he was on board his first ship within nine days from starting the process. So it can't, side note, it can happen really, really fast like that. Typically, it's about 30 to 60 days for most people to get a job on board. But if you have sort of a higher level of experience and you're going for a supervisory or manager level position, like maybe retail shop staff or um, onboard crew trainer, it is possible. You just want to make very, very sure that your resume is very, very cruise ship focused, which is why speaking with a specialist such as myself is sometimes a good idea if you are going for those higher level positions, because it can really help you to hone in on what the best cruise line for you truly is going to be, um, what the salary ranges are going to be for that role, because somebody like myself is going to know that information firsthand so that you can make the best choice possible for, for yourself from day one. Speak, yeah. Speaking of salary, what what does the salary look like, you know, if you could take us from you know the entry-level position like we kind of talked about all the way up to someone who would be an HR manager or a more senior staff? What, what's a, what's like a good range that people should expect? Mm, that's a really great question. So I don't want to scare people, but I'll give you some info here. So typically most entry-level roles, like the ones I talked about, you know, the crew staff, the youth staff, the photog, the retail, all that, they're kind of all coming in around the same level. You should expect somewhere between like 1000 and 1800 USD per month in cash, which I know to a lot of people sounds terrible. But what I used to do um, when I was talking to candidates that I was interviewing during, during my time in recruitment, and if I ever got anyone that would that was sort of like, oh, I, I don't know about that, I would say to them, like, look, I'm not pressuring you either way, but if you can honestly tell me that after you've spent everything that you've had to over a month to live, to pay rent, your groceries, your car, all of that, if you can honestly tell me that after all of that, you have in your pocket $1,000 saved, I'll be shocked. Because that's what we're talking about. Yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> so, to, you, you either have to be really minimalist or, or have an awesome rent or something like that, or be someone who's making a ton of money right off the bat out of, out of college or right, right away. Yeah. So that's kind of entry level. Um, and so even though it may sound low, the, you know, after a six month contract, you're going to be coming home with like six to 10 grand. Um, and then once you reach a supervisory or managerial level position, it skyrockets. You're talking triple, quadruple. So when I started as youth staff, I was in that like 12, 1400 range. Um, and then by year five, I was making three, four times that. And then by year 10, I was making six, seven times that per month. Yeah. And, and still with no out of pocket expenses, really, right? Yeah. So it, it jumps really, really high once you reach a managerial supervisory level. And that can happen super fast. One of the things I love best about working on a cruise ship is that promotions are all based on performance and evaluations. We have none of this sort of shore side seniority, for lack of a better word, crap. We don't have it. It doesn't exist. So if you get on board and you work harder and better than someone else that's been in the same position for two, three years on board, it doesn't matter. You're going to be their boss before them. Um, so that's what happens. So if you're really gunning for moving up. It can happen very, very quickly for you. And, and talking about the out-of-pocket expenses, is it, is it literally zero? I mean, so you said food and lodging is taken care of. What, what are some things that you actually do have to spend your own money on when you are working on a cruise ship? Mm, good question. So obviously, if you're a huge shopper ashore, like 
that's going to be a problem for you if you are a big shopper. Just but, like anywhere. <laughs> yeah, but on board, you know, you're going to probably want to buy crew intranet cards to contact home. You know, those are like 10 to 20 bucks. They last you a few hours. You'll probably, you maybe you want to call, uh, get a phone card, which is, it's all via satellite system. So maybe you'll want to get that another kind of 10 or 20 bucks here or there. Uh, drinks. So, you know, side note, hopefully passengers out there, I'm sorry if you're hearing this. So passengers are spending, you know, anywhere from like 10 to $14 a, a drink on board. Um, crew were paying 75 cents to two bucks. Okay. So it's like being <laughs> back in university, being at a dive bar base, yeah, essentially. Yeah. Even cheaper. Um, so, um, again, obviously, you know, if you, if you uh, sort of go out every single night and, and spend your $5. Um, <laughs> hopefully you're not spending more than that because that would be a lot of drinks. But, um, you know, that can bring up the bar tab a bit. But even that, like that's kind of really the only thing you're going to be having to spend money on. And, and I guess if you go into port, um, you could spend money in, in port. But what about activities? So let's say, okay, you're, it's your time to go into port. And uh, and I guess sta- um the some of the people are going on an activity i don't know like four-wheeling or, or a hike to a waterfall i don't know do you pay for that or can some of that sometime get uh you get comped as well yeah that's i'm so glad you asked, asked that question because yeah that is something i didn't even mention is that um all crew can sign up to be what's called a crew escort on any tour they want and you know you don't always get your first choice but you often get you know second third choice and i have done dozens of amazing tours that passengers are spending sorry passengers hundreds of dollars for and I did them all for free and basically as a crew escort you're kind of just there on the tour as a representative of the company you kind of are incognito but if something goes wrong a crew member or a passenger gets hurt you know something happens on the tour you're not the tour guide but you're sort of just there to assist if need be um, and for that, you get a free tour. So, you know, you may be, you know, I've been dog sledding in Alaska. That was paid for. Uh, paragliding in Mexico and um, wine tasting tours in Tuscany and just, you know, all that kind of stuff I've done. And I've not only have been, I've been paid to be there, uh, I've gotten even these free tours on top. So, yes. Limited yes. responsibility for lots of <laughs> Awesome experiences, huh? Yeah, exactly. That, all right, so we, we've gone through the good. Let's talk a little bit about the downsides of being on a cruise ship, of working on a cruise ship. What are some things that are, are downsides? And then what are some things that people might not ever expect, but like looking back, you would say to yourself, oh man, I can't believe I never even thought about this when I first started. Mm, okay, so downsides for sure. Because I mean, obviously working on a cruise ship, it's not for everyone. It totally is not for everyone. Um, so, you know, that's something to keep in mind is that it doesn't matter what position that you work in, it's going to be seven days a week. Yes, some days you're going to be working like three or four hours and you're going to have been in Fiji all day, suntanning. Great. But some days are going to be really, really hard. So it is a seven day a week position for the full contract. So, you know, by month six, yeah, you're, you're tired. You spend that first week or so after you get off the ship sleeping. So, Long days, seven days a week, split shifts. If you're not used to that, that can take some getting used to as well. Um, living with another person, most entry-level positions, you're going to be sharing a cabin. The only time I got my own cabin was, you know, year five when I'd reached a managerial-level role. Most of the time, you're going to be sharing a cabin. So living 
and working with someone else in very close proximity. Um, you're not going to have a window in that cabin, you know, again, supervisor benefits. Um, so some people get a little bit, um, that can be hard for some people. And also being away from home, like you're going to miss holidays, you're going to miss birthdays and special family events. So the homesickness can be an issue for some people as well. But I feel like if you make it more than a year or two, you're usually kind of hooked. Like <laughs> you, you get, you kind of get your feet under you, and you're like you're used to that lifestyle, and uh, and you know you can handle it. And I, I assume it then, like most things, gets easier. Like the homesickness, if if you ever had it, you know you become less homesick because you realize, all right, no one is actually doing anything that much that fun at home usually for six months, or or they are, but I'm only missing a little bit. I'm doing stuff way better. You get used to being around people more often, and I guess you get used to the schedule as well. Yeah, and now, I mean, with technology, I mean, I, I, I sound like I'm 100 years old, but I mean, really, like, when I first started on cruise ships in 2000, the internet and social media was not where it is now. And so now, cruise lines have way better internet for crew. Um, they even have, like, special packages where crew can have use their phones and hook up instantly to social media so they can communicate with their friends and family a lot more uh, easier than they did when I started. I mean, when I started, there was like, there weren't crew phones, crew sat phones in each cabin for crew. We had to wait in this line in one crew hallway and there was only like two phones. And it was like, you know, not like prison, but kind of in a way that you're kind of waiting for an <laughs> ten, hour. 10 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like, so it's not like that anymore. So it's just so much easier to stay in touch with your loved ones. So um, that's, yeah, it's a challenge, but it's way easier now than it was before. All right, so someone's ready to do this. You know, they they've even gone as far as landing a gig um, based on your recommendations. You gave them great recommendations, like great. All right, so they get this position. What are some things that they should should be aware of when they're getting ready to go on their first six month or four months, however long it is, their first tour? What what should they be aware of? Like, what did you wish you could tell yourself when you first started? <laughs> Well, actually, I have like a whole bunch of videos on my YouTube channel. So just search Get a Life at Sea. I have like tons of videos on like ship life and like how to prepare and that kind of stuff. But I would say number one, don't overpack. A lot of people on their first contract, they think they're going away for six months, which they are, but they literally pack like everything they own. And what you need to remember is that most of the time you're going to be wearing your uniform. And so you really only need like one or two weeks worth of clothes because there's laundry on board and it's free. So don't overpack. That's like 100% for sure. Do not bring one of those big, crazy, hard cases because there's nowhere for it in your in your crew cabin. Bring a duffel bag. Bring something that can be like folded down. Because your cabin mate is going to hate you when you bring in this. You can always tell who's new crew because they always wheel these massive like bricks of luggage, and there's nowhere to put them. You're yeah, probably they're like throwing them overboard by day two. Like, oh my gosh. Well, here's a flotation device for someone. Yeah. Yeah. Usually, what you do is you find someone who's leaving, and you're like, here, you need an extra bag here. Like, and then you just buy one. Um. So just don't over pack. Um, also, and I told this as well, the candidates when I was in hiring, expect your first couple of weeks to completely suck. Expect that expect that you're going to be jet lagged, overwhelmed, you're learning a new job, you're you have this new life, you have a whole bunch of extra safety training on top of everything that first couple of weeks. It is hard that first couple of weeks, you are going to definitely think on more than one occasion, what the heck have I done? Like, I want to go home. If you can get through that first couple of weeks, 
and get to your 30 days, it's going to, you're going to start really enjoying things and really loving it 99.9% of the time. So that's something that I wish that most people knew is that don't be scared that first couple of weeks because yeah, it's not going to be fun. All right. <laughs> There you go. So no big suitcases and make it through the first 30 days. It is. It's like joining the military almost, right? Like if you can get through basic training, you're going to be okay. Um, what, What are some of your favorite places that you've been or favorite cruises that you've done? I would have to say, and I always mention this with Pino Australia, because it's so funny because they're such a small line, but I really just love them and I love their itineraries. So... They primarily stay within, you know, Australia, New Zealand and the South Pacific. But I love the South Pacific because for me, of all the places I've been in the world, it's some of still the most remote islands out there. And it's very, they haven't really been really affected hugely by tourism. And so I was able to go to really cool small islands in Vanuatu and see like tribal land divers and just really cool stuff um, that I will remember forever uh, because I really love a lot of people think, oh, cruising, like they kind of think, oh, touristy and Cancun and that kind of thing. And that's true to some degree. But you can get on with lines and have experiences that are very, very cultural and immersive. So that for me was definitely some of my best memories on board a cruise ship. That and also doing um, a couple of Atlantic crossings where I was able to go to Greenland and Iceland and just places I would always have wanted to go in my life, but probably never would have if cruising hadn't brought me there. Right. Yeah. So, and, and I get that a lot. You know, um, I always say to people, I've never been on a cruise and I think, well, yeah, of course, because you know, you're an independent traveler. So you must look or people and people always say to me, you look down on cruises, right? And I'm like, no, I know if anyone out there works for the cruise industry and, and wants to send me on any type of cruise, I would be happy to go. It's more just a situational thing that, that it hasn't ever happened. And, and I think you make a really good point that, even with my limited knowledge of cruises, I know that it runs the gamut. And I think that a lot of people get stuck in that. Oh, you're going to cruise around the Caribbean from Fort Lauderdale or Miami. And it's like these booze cruises. And listen, they, they serve a purpose. And someone who hasn't traveled and tells me they're going on a cruise, I always say, awesome. Like dip your toe in that. That's a really good way to start. You're going to be taken care of. You're going to have some comfort of home, but you know, you're going to get to see some really cool stuff that you wouldn't if you're on your couch and then take it from there. And then, you know, you could even do that with cruises. I I know people who only do cruises, but get to see most of the world and travel all the time because you can get more remote, more exotic, smaller, whatever it is that you want. And I I think that gets lost in the shuffle of, hey, it's just this ever mass tourism. All these old people are coming on a cruise ship and, and drinking and getting off for five hours and coming back on type type stereotype, right? Yeah. And there's so many other um, things that are related to cruising as well that you can get into. Like I did a contract with a uh, sailing tall ship from Brazil to South Africa, kind of halfway in that 10 years. And I was I was an instructor on board. And so I was literally sailing the entire Atlantic with only 40 other students and a few other teachers. And so that's like, there's a whole bunch of other things out there that you can kind of start with or delve into once you hit into the cruising world. Um, I'm also in the future because I know I have a three-year-old now, so I'm not going to be working on a cruise ship in the next few years, maybe when he's, um, you know, maybe when he's a little bit older, but in the next few years, I'm going to be working towards volunteering with um, an organization called Mercy Ships, which actually is a floating hospital ship kind of cruise ship like but they're based in Africa 
and they provide free healthcare to the world's poorest people. You can go to uh, mercyships.org to check them out. But they actually have a K through grade 12 school on board for the ship's crew. So, you know, there's other options out there, even, you know, if you have family and you're not sure you can leave them or whatever, there's other things out there that you can kind of do to still get that life at sea um, in the best way that works for you. So I'm definitely looking forward to, you know, introducing my son to his life at sea and continuing the the circle. Yeah, us land lovers always forget <laughs> that 75% of the world is covered by water. And there's a lot of people out there doing a lot of different positions and jobs and opportunities that that are far removed from what the typical idea of a cruise is. So awesome. And we will link all that up in the show notes. um, So guys, don't worry about that. You can go to the show notes and get get everything we've talked about. Last question I have for you, and I'm sure there there is so many. um, So you're gonna have to dive through your archives here to pick the best one. What is one of your biggest travel mishaps? Oh, man. Yeah, there's a lot for sure. I would have to say travel mishap relating to cruising was I was doing a three month tour in the Mediterranean um, as youth staff and I arrived in Barcelona. My bags did not. And they never did. The whole contract. And so I arrived and I actually didn't have anything in my carry on that I could survive with for a week or two. This is why now I tell all of my clients when we're packing for them to join their first ship, we always make sure there's enough for them to survive in that carry on because this happened to me. I did not. And then I had to spend the next you know, two, three weeks going throughout the Mediterranean port to port trying to collect enough sort of uniform requirements and also personal stuff just to kind of keep me going. So I would have to, I mean, I'm sure everyone has their lost luggage, you know, story, but my, the sad part about mine was that, you know, every time the ship came into port, I was promised that we, that the bag would try and be located. And it was like, you know, but it never caught up. Right. Right. So like that, that's the worst is someone's like, uh, we lost it and you're never finding it. You're like, okay, gonna, gonna deal with that. But it's like, Oh, I'm getting into port. Here it is. Nope. Nope. And uh, cross your fingers, I've actually, believe it or not, never had lost luggage. So I don't have a lost luggage story yet. I would love if it stayed like that. And there'd be some irony in that um, if I was like 85 years old and said, I never lost my luggage and I traveled all over the world. So, hey, maybe I'm just the lucky one, right? Um, Totally. What else is in the pipeline for you? You mentioned a little bit with with volunteering with Mercy Ships, trying to get your, your son on on board some ships and of course showing him the world that was shown to you when when you were a little one what else do you have um going on either personally or professionally yeah well professionally like with getalifeatsea.com i'm actually working on creating a cruise ship jobs one-on-one course so i have a few products on my website already i have my awesome like how the heck to get a job on a cruise ship guide i have a really awesome starter kit I have my resume consultations that I do with people and I also have resume creation packages where I actually rewrite your resume for you for the cruise ship industry because, you know, I have my decade on board and I know what the recruiters are looking for because I was one. Um, If I'm ever going for a job on a cruise ship, you're writing my resume because I hate (laughs) writing resumes. It's one of the things that I hope I never have to do again in my life and one of the reasons I like working for myself. Yeah, it's it's and that's, you know, I get a lot of people, you know, like that, that they have, you know, maybe they are self-employed or they haven't done it. So for a long time and they just so so I do it for them. So that's been going amazing. I have tons of clients joining their first ships this month, which is fantastic. And um, 
But I really noticed as well, I wanted to create a, a really comprehensive Cruise Ship Jobs 101 course that includes everything that someone would want to know. It, how to do their resume, yes, of course. How, where to apply and how, yes, of course. But you know, diving into what are the best positions? What are the salaries for those roles? What are some things I haven't thought of? Um, what is the history of all these different lines? What is the best cruise line for me? I wanted to create something that would really provide that answer to them. So that's going to be coming out uh, before the new year. So I'm aiming for December, January. And so that's going to be Cruise Ship Jobs 101. So yeah, keep an eye on the getalifeatsea.com website for that info. And of course, people can find me everywhere on social media too. I've got a great place to start is obviously my YouTube channel. I've got awesome videos and content there to get started, ship life, how to get a job in a cruise ship, all that. I'm on Facebook where I live stream. I'm on Periscope where I live broadcast. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Google+, LinkedIn, the whole shebang. Just search Get Oh, man. So you're, you're the opposite of me then. You're actually like taking advantage of social media, whereas for me, I've gotten better. But it's like when I'm traveling, I post stuff up and people like it and I like interacting and when I'm home, I'm like, oh, no one wants to know about what I'm doing. And I know I could live stream this, but eh, whatever. So good for you. Good for you for actually uh, yeah. taking advantage oh. of that. And I should say, if people just want to take find out really quickly in 30 seconds or less, if a life at sea is for them, I have a free Are You Ready for Life at Sea quiz, which you can take just at getalifeatsea.com forward slash cruise ship quiz. So I'll tell you in 30 seconds or less if you should uh, be thinking about this as an opportunity. That's awesome. So they listen to an hour and now we give them a 30 second way to figure out whether they want to do it or not. <laughs> there you go. Amanda, thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, you know, obviously I knew nothing about cruise ships starting out. Now I feel like I know everything in an hour. Um, so really cool. And I just think it's an amazing opportunity for people looking to travel, you know, make good money, have a neat experience. So it's really cool to have an expert on. I think especially for, uh, it was really neat to hear your story about being in university and looking back, you know, I, I don't have many regrets in life. Maybe some of my university years were a little bit of that. Um, but just a really cool thing for people in all walks of life and all, all times of their life, but especially for young people, man, what a cool thing. If you're someone who's listening, you're like, I just want to travel. I want to get out of my nine to five job and, and just give this a go. What a really cool thing. So thanks so much for coming on. Remind people one more time, the best place that they can find you is com. right? Yep, that's right. Yeah, just check out the site. You can contact me on the contact page or through any of my other platforms or email me. I'm just at info at getalifeatsea.com. And Amanda is still like the only person that's still left on Google Plus. So you can find her on Google Plus. I know. It's the YouTube thing. It's the YouTube thing. Yeah, they make you sign in. They make you sign in. And I'm always like, I don't even know what's happening with Google Plus, but I have to sign in in order to get to my other google stuff yeah, uh, so who knows <laughs> awesome well thank you so much amanda guys if you we, we mentioned a lot of resources a lot of things you can go to get a life um at c.com all that stuff will be there but we're also linking everything that we touched on specifically at on our show notes so you can go to extra pack of peanuts.com slash pods that has all the shows the show notes for this episode all the other 250 plus so you can just geek out have fun listen to them all uh might take you a little while but go go there extra pack of peanuts.com also, if you're looking for this, fits right in, right? Um, you don't want to pack one of those hard, sh hard shell suitcases. You don't want to bring too much stuff. Um, TortugaBackpacks.com make a very good size carry-on backpack. It will fold down. 
Um, it's great. Uh, check that out, tortugabackpacks.com. You can use the promo code EPOP, E-P-O-P, all capital letters. I get you 10% off. And Amanda, thank you again so much. You're 15 feet from the sea. So, uh, yeah, you might be the closest person that we've ever had on to the ocean um, or, or to actually being on the water. So, so far you hold that title. Yay, I'm so glad. <laughs> Thanks Thank- so much for having me. <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Don't forget, check out getalifeatsea.com. Thanks for tuning in today, guys. Thanks for the continued support, as always, that makes this number one rated travel podcast on iTunes. We couldn't do it without you. And until next time, happy free travels. And I should say, maybe happy even get paid for your travels if you're working a cruise ship. I'll see you next